Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasana Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasana Mortasa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambhutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Tawara Ye Sodavanta Bamunjantu Sada So one of the epithets for the the Buddha when we chant is uh, Loka Vidu, knower of the world. And so this, of course we can see this is a quality of the Buddha, but this also is something much more practical than just chanting uh you know the positive qualities of of somebody called Buddha. So that's like reflecting on what is the world. You know the the situation that we're experiencing now. And this is to like to to contemplate or reflect on life as experience rather than. Uh, Describing how life should be, and like if we're if we're just uh, rationalists, then we we have theories about how things should be. But in reflective awareness, we're noticing how things are. You know, like like breathing is like this, so we become aware of the breath. We're not holding not saying you should breathe a certain way. There's some standard of breathing that is ideal that we must all strive for. Or we contemplate the experience of sensitivity is like this. Then we begin to notice the fact that the human body, this body that we're in with its eyes, ears, nose, tongue, the body itself is all, this is sensitive. And sensitivity is like this. So then we, we look inward. What is it, you know, just being sensitive? Is that we, we're now looking at, noticing what it is to feel or to see or to hear or smell, taste, touch, to think, uh, to remember. So we can have ideas about being sensitive, you know, we uh, sensitivity, or we can try to make ourselves insensitive because we might see it as a weakness to be too sensitive to some people is, is a sign of weakness. But we're not, we're not uh, placing any judgment on sensitivity, but it's just noticing it's like this. Then noticing the the uh, the world that we live in, the the environment, the the way it is. It's uh, you know the experience of the we we find it more towards just noticing the impermanent nature of our conscious experience, how things rise and cease, begin and end. And so it's knowing the world. Uh, which is not a, a judging, you know, judging the world according to some standard, but the world is like this. The world is sensitive. The world is about birth and death, about meeting and parting, coming and going, about good and bad, about right and wrong, 
beauty and ugliness and and all the various uh, gradations of experience and qualities that we are subject to in this form. So even though this seems an obvious kind of reality when you when you recognize it, yet uh, how many how many people really uh, are aware of the world, you know, in terms of experience? Uh, we interpret it usually in a personal way. Uh, the habit patterns is to interpret it all in terms of personal limitations or personal feelings, personal ideas. Though in uh, noticing the way the world is, we're seeing that it's not a personal thing. A person is a is a is is a kind of creation of the mind that we. And that we're bound to if we don't awaken, if we just operate within the conditioning, emotional conditioning that we have, then we see it in terms of this is happening to me, or I am good or bad or whatever accordingly. This is very important to to recognize and to to know the world is the world uh, because it's it's a very strong experience having a human body is is uh, you know a continuous uh, kind of experience of being irritated that when you contemplate what consciousness is in a, in such a form as human a human body with four elements earth fire water and air and uh, just from birth to death, from the time you're born, when you cry, the moment you're out of the, your mother's womb, you start screaming, and then, then uh, the sensitivity, uh, impingement, and the irritations that come through through this sensitive form till it dies. So. It is uh, encouraging to uh, encourage you to to contemplate what it is rather than to judge it according to ideals or ideas that you might have. So, and this is then called the awakened state of awakened awareness. So, when we to wake up means to know the world as it, as as it is it's not judging the world if we if we have ideas about how the world should be then the way it is oftentimes is seen through our critical mind it shouldn't be you know when you see how countries should be governments should be or parents or partners or whatever then then we're coming from ideals Standards usually quite high standards of if everything was if everything were perfect, but this this realm its perfection doesn't lie in in uh, condition in taking conditioned experience to some kind of peak moment, isn't it? Peak moments are uh, are just that they're kind of the they're wonderful in their way, but they're not sustainable. That the flow and movement of our life is around the changingness of the conditioned realm that impinges, that we're involved in, that we're we're immersed in in this uh, conscious form. And so, it's not how irritating it is to, to you know, just to have able to see and hear, smell, taste, touch. It's always something, you know, that is isn't quite right. And that it's uh, too cold or too hot, or we we have a headache or a backache, or we're 
uh, unwanted noises, odors, and things like this uh, impinge or come in contact with this form, and then we experience its beauty, its ugliness, pleasure, and pain. But even pleasure is irritating when you think of it. I mean, we 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 like pleasure, but it, this uh, having a lot of pleasure is also very exhausting and irritating. So this is not a criticism, is it? It's just noticing that that uh, having a human body is like this. Breathing is like this. Consciousness is like this. How sensitive we are just with words and thoughts, you know, or tone of voice. You know, one can say things and, and, and upset everybody just through a certain tone of voice or a, using a word, certain words can be very distressing. Or we remember, you know, remember things of the past that are pleasant or unpleasant. And so this, we can we can obsess our minds with, with about things we shouldn't have done in the past. You know, so we have guilt, a lot of guilt and remorse or uh, self aversion because of mistakes, failures, or uh, unskillful actions in the past that we remember. So we can get really neurotic because we, in the present moment, we can be totally obsessed with the thing we shouldn't have done 20 years ago. <laughs> and uh, and we could drop ourselves into a real state of depression and despair. And so this, this uh, you know, th- th- being born as a human being is, uh, is a real challenge in terms of... Uh, how to how to use this experience of our human birth, human experience, this sensitive state that we're living in. You know, some people think of committing suicide. Just, just you know, get it over with. It's just too hard to bear, too much to stand in a lifetime of this continuous irritation and guilt and remorse and and uh, fear of the unknown and and so forth can be just so utterly depressing and despairing that we think we better to just uh, kill kill ourselves, commit suicide. Or, as the Buddha encouraged us, to wake up to it, learn from it, see it as opportunity as challenge as something to to uh, learn from so developing wisdom in terms of the conditions and the experiences that we have in this life which could be you know which are not guaranteed to be always the best and much of us have had to experience all kinds of frustrations, disappointments, disillusionments, failures. And of course, if we take that personally, it does, it is, uh, you know, one wants to just uh, end it all very quickly. But if you put it in the context of Knowing the world is the world, then then we can we can take anything. We have incredible abilities to learn from even the most unfair, the most miserable, uh, painful, and nasty conditions. So these are not the obstructions to enlightenment. It's it's whether we awaken or not.
Some people think it's good karma to just have an easy ride, you know, to be born and do wealthy, with wealthy parents and high status, beautiful parents, intelligence, easy life, uh, just all the benefits, all the blessings, all the good things is great, uh, is a lot of merit. The good Burmese and that. But uh, I would tend to think uh, sometimes I look at my own life and think uh, incredible uh, challenges have come to me, you know, to, uh, that have, have shaken me, have, have really uh, upset me, disappointed me, to the point where I've even contemplated suicide in the past. <laughs> I just want to get this over. I don't want to spend more and more years just in this in this realm. I can't take it. But then awakening to that, I realize that I can't. Mm. I'm quite willing to take what life presents and learn from it. So that's the challenge. It's, it's uh, you know, seeing that, that this is, is an opportunity uh, that we have as uh, as human beings, as conscious beings. Now the teachings of the Lord Buddha are teachings pointing to this. You know, they're not there to awaken you rather than to condition you. So you're, you're not, you know, it's not a... They're not to grasp them as kind of doctrinal positions to take, but uh, expedient means to use to develop, to de- encourage awakened awareness, mindfulness, intuition, to to not fear sensitivity, really open to it, be fully sensitive rather than just try to uh, kind of protect yourself endlessly from possible pain or or uh, un- misfortunes knowing the world in as the world isn't a kind of you know kind of resignation in a negative way when you know how the world is and just as, a, as if it were bad or there's something wrong with it. Because that's not knowing the world is the world. It's, it's, uh, it's studying and taking an interest, investigating, examining experience, and willing to really look at and feel the, uh, the negative side of experience, not just seek pleasurable sensu- uh, sensory uh, pleasures or just pleasurable experiences, but uh, seeing even your most uh, disappointing ones, your your worst failures, as as opportunity to learn, as awaken, as a chance to awaken. We can say as devadutas or messengers that tap us on the shoulder and say, "Wake up." So that's why with in Buddha Buddhism we like getting old, sickness, disabilities, loss are not seen as as things to fear or despise, but to uh, as devadutas uh, or heavenly messengers. So like this word devaduta is the Pali word, which is like a duta. Duta means like a messenger of some sort. Or and uh, a deva is is like heaven, heavenly, angelic messengers sent to to uh, warn us. There's a somebody asked me one time. A Christian asked me about if if we had angels in Buddhism, and 
and they said we have we have uh, angels in Christianity. They're all you know white and beautiful, play harps, and uh, they're very radiant light beings. I said, well, Buddhist angels are not that way. They're old age things. <laughs> 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 and then the fourth they would do to is the samana or the 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 uh, human being who's seeking who's uh, who's uh, on the, the spirit realizing the having the spiritual realization. So uh, that always interested me because I thought that was quite amusing because seeing an old person as a deva, as a as an angel or a sick the sick or the mentally sick or they. Um, Corpses and uh, and monks and nuns as devadutas. We look at each other as devadutas rather than as uh, that's uh, Ajahn Rajiro and that's Sister Ananda Bodhi and they, they, then they become personalities, don't they? We see each other like like I remember with Ajahn Anando when. The word Anando became so identified with Ajahn Anando that uh, Venerable Ananda, when I ordained him, Gary Thompson, <laughs> it was to challenge that perception because the, the word Ananda had become so fixed into a person, a personality. But in uh, say just looking at like the shaven head and the and the saffron robes and this as seeing them in terms of devadutas rather than as uh, as you know when you put it into terms of monks and nuns and this senior and junior and and all this and it it gets into uh, into a kind of personality view sakayaditi. Or this is using your mind in a different way, looking at at this as uh, devadutas rather. So when we see each other actually helping each other to awaken, or when we look at each other, do we just see each other as a person? You know, think of this monk is like this, and that nun she's like that, and on and on. We could be. We we can do it, see it in, in the very worldly way, or just changing the the perspective to the devaduta. Old people we can see as devaduta. You can see, like me, I'll be sixty-seven in a few days. See, not only a devaduta on the level of a samana, but a, a, an old man. And then as I get sick. And senile and that, and I mean more of a David. Three get three David Dutas in one. <laughs> and then when I'm dead, I've <laughs> four, four, all in one. Or just reflecting in this way to see. You know to how to use life in how you you know the the malleability of our human mind is is endless i mean we 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 can be so set and conditioned by just dualistic thinking you know the kind of thing you get from your cultural background for example i was I was brought up in a, a very dualistic way of looking at everything from Christian background. things are absolutely right or wrong or Good or evil. I mean, these were almost, you know, these were very fixed ways of looking at everything. So you, you had this very limited use of of your mind because it, it tended to not be move very much. It just moved between these two extremes. But notice in in just some of the Buddhist. Uh, Meditational exercises, just the ways of visualizing, of 
of using your mind to create visions of things, to to contemplate the 32 parts of the body. Uh, I remember when I was first faced with this in in Thailand. You know, I kept I kept wanting to think of 32 parts of the body as kind of being physiologically accurate according to Western science, and uh, just observing, uh, contemplating my own 32 parts, I was, it was easier for me to go and find a book on anatomy and physiology and look at a chart, you know, and a, and a, and a picture, than to contemplate the reality of those organs and those conditions existing here and now in this, in this form, in this, that I call myself, that I assume it's me. But it is a different use of of uh, uh, learning to to flex the mind a bit. What happened? <laughs> Those are um, malleable loudspeaker. Look at yourself also in terms of, uh, you know, I was talking to one of the monks last week about how difficult sometimes it is to see yourself in in terms of positive qualities. Because we're so used to seeing ourselves in in terms of negative, uh, you know, what's wrong, what is uh, the fault. I know with with many, especially uh, Western people, Europeans and Americans, it's so, you know, we're so aware. We 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 spend so much time criticizing ourselves and dwelling on uh, the what what we feel is wrong with us or not good or weak, and then and then we think it's even you know. Uh, wrong to admit our good qualities. I used to feel like that. Like I couldn't, you know, I was being honest when I was admitting my weaknesses and faults. But if I admitted my virtues, that would be like bragging. And here in Britain, we, you know, it's, it's, very, it's a very bad taste to brag and tell people how wonderful you are, how much money you make, and that, or how, how many important degrees or titles you have. In in Thailand, for example, you, some monks have these name cards and they have all their titles on them. You know, you have BA, MA, PhD, and, and Chao Kun this, and and then head of this province, and and, and they have a whole list. And they say, a vice president of the World Fellowship of Buddhists, and then the, then the World Congress of Buddhists, so trustees of this and that, because uh, it's quite all right to to present yourself in in terms of your accomplishments. But here, we think that's very bad taste. It's just you know it's embarrassing that you never see in a in an English home people putting their university degrees up, framing them, putting them up on the walls. It. Uh, We'd be too embarrassed because it's like like it boasting or bragging. But that and so there is a sense of modesty here in in Britain, you know, that has uh, is also quite lovely in many ways. It's uh, a sense of modesty, but then it can be taken to the extreme where it becomes you can't you you have no way of acknowledging any any goodness in yourself. Or to appreciate your own successes, virtues, and good qualities. And is it going to, you know, are we going to become inflated egotistical monsters if we admit that we love good things? You know, I, I'm, you know, why, why do I become a bhikkhu, Buddhist monk? Why would I choose to live a celibate life and in a, in a in 
this this order, this this monastic group. And then I, then I could give you reason out of because I, you know, I've just got to, you know, get myself together and make myself, you know, shape up and get my act together. I can't do it any other way. I have to do something, you know, to in order to make myself do it. I can look at it in terms of of weakness and inability that I need the support from external conditions because I can't do it myself. Or I can also look at it in terms of uh, being attracted to what is good and virtuous and and uh, what is, you know, beautiful. So it's, you know, and both can, you know, have their points to make. Even though I I can be fascinated by lower things and uh, uh, the darker side of life, it's not that I'm I'm just so good that I just gravitate to everything that's light and beautiful. And I've certainly had my fascinations for that which isn't. But I would say summing up as a character tendency that I prefer move toward the light and the Good, the true, and the beautiful. This is this is the movement I'm interested in, moving in this direction. So that's something very good, something to respect. You know, I re- see that in that this is something very good in my character. Now that's just putting it in terms of of uh, uh, personal qualities. It's it's learning to uh, be honest and admit uh, and, and, and make it a conscious kind of appreciation of your own humanity and, uh, and your individuality. Uh, helps to, to give you a confidence that you don't have. If you're, if you're too obsessed, too over, overly interested or too committed to being critical and seeing yourself through the negative perception. So this is being able to use our our critical mind, our discriminative abilities and our thoughts, not just to analyze and compare one thing with another, but to uh, Examine and investigate in terms of experience. So we awaken to say, awaken to to the breath is like this. Awaken to the sensitive state we're in is like this. Awaken to the irritations that we experience as the as conditions and that uh, contact and and uh, irritate our senses, or the the way the, our own obsessions and and emotional habits, whatever they might be, to be able to put them in the perspective of rather than in seeing that as, as something to get rid of, but something to awaken to, change from pushing away, resisting, and denying towards awakening, accepting, and welcoming. Now in the First Noble Truth, this, uh, this, uh, the Buddha proclaimed this, that there is this dukkha, this suffering. So, so that is, put in this context of noble truth rather than a dismal reality. And if we look at, uh, at in terms of a dismal reality, what happens is, they, you know, life is just suffering. It's all just suffering. You know, you get old, you get sick and die. And you have to lose all your friends and all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. Life is just, you know, that's all it's about. It's, it's just 
dukkha from the beginning to the end. <laughs> There's nothing noble in that, is there? <laughs> it's just pessimism and depression and, and seeing it in terms of, I don't like it. I don't want suffering. I, it's, what a bad joke. What a lousy joke God played on us, you know, creating this mess. And me being born in this mess to live just to get old. What am I living for? Just to get old, get sick and die. And of course that's very depressing, isn't it? That's, that's not a noble truth. Isn't it? You're creating uh, a problem around the, the way things are. So then, a uh, noble truth, there is suffering... So it's, and in, in the, in the advice, the prescription to deal with this, with this suffering is to welcome it, to understand it, to open to it, to admit it, to, to begin to notice and accept, and uh, that willingness to embrace and learn from that which we don't like, don't want the pain or the frustration, the irritation, the, and on and on, whether it's physical, em, emotional, mental, whatever. So you can see, like in uh, dukkha, and then suffering, is, and then should be understood. Or to understand suffering is like opening to it. You know, we say, we understand suffering because it, uh, you know, and, and then we, we, we rationalize it. But that's not understanding. It's, it's uh, welcoming, you know, embracing suffering that we're experiencing. Our frustration, our despair, our pain. Um, everything that, you know, the irritation, the boredom, fear and desires and this welcoming, opening, accepting, and then this is a noble truth, isn't it? Because uh, our humanity then is, is being ennobled. It's an Aryan truth, this word Arya. Aryan means noble. So what is noble in the, the English word noble? <laughs> it's a, a kind of grand quality, isn't it? It rises up. If you're noble, you rise up to things. You don't just say, oh, life is just misery and and I just want to hide away from it because I can't bear it. There's nothing noble in that, is it? Or blaming the suffering. Uh, God, why did you create this mess? It's your fault. You know, you're brought up as a Christian sometimes and you say, I used to feel furious with God. That if I were God, I would have created a lot better situation than this one. <laughs> I remember as a child thinking, if I were God, I wouldn't have created pain. Because I, you know, you'd fall down and hurt yourself, and you, you think, why does God allow this? You know, why do you create a realm where there's so much pain? If I were God, and I created the world, I wouldn't create pain. And my mother, she never could answer that question very well. <laughs> because the thing is, pain is, you know, something that shouldn't be. There's something wrong. Or is pain a noble truth? Is old age a noble truth? Is uh, loss, separation, uh, all these uh, these uh, experiences that we all have to have in this form, in this human realm, seeing it in terms of of complaining and and blaming, or in terms of a noble truth. Now, this is what I'm pointing to: is this we can look at things in different ways. You know, we, we can choose. We're not just stuck with one program. 
and, and a victim of our, you know, victim of the, the program we did get, which might not be very good. You know, if we already got the, the program from the culture and from the family we were born into, <laughs> might not be a very good program, actually. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's fairly all, all right. But, but still, as, as just limited to that experience alone, when we have this, this opportunity to explore, investigate reality, to know in a direct way. The enlightenment is not something uh, remote and impossible. Even though if you, you know, you can see it in terms of, you know, some very uh, abstract state that that you hold up and aim for, but you you don't think you'll ever be able to achieve. And that that way of thinking is based on what you know. And you think of yourself as as this kind of person. You know, my personality. If I depended on my personality, I couldn't do anything. I mean, ever hope to get enlightened because my personality doesn't doesn't can't possibly conceive myself as a person being enlightened. My personality is conditioned to think of myself in terms of what's wrong with me. Coming from a competitive society that where you you you're very much aware of uh, you know who's who's better or who's worse, who's above and who's below. And so I can't trust that my personal uh, habits are not, you know, they, they're conditioned things, so they don't have any, they aren't flexible in themselves. You know, they, if you just attach and, ex, and interpret experience through those perceptions and never learn to look at things in any other way, then you, you are stuck with a, with a limited view. That can be just very uh, dis- depressing way of having to live your life. So, like awakening, isn't it? Wake up. And then we begin to see, getting beyond this, this, the, the rigid dualism, the, the puritanical uh, dualism, they, or the, the initial program that, that you acquire through your family, social background. Trusting in your own intuitive awakened sense. Don't trust in your views and opinions about anything. <laughs> about yourself or Buddhism or in the world, you know. It's, uh, those are oftentimes very biased. You know, we get very, you know, very biased views of, of, of uh, each other. Racial prejudices, class identities, and ethnic biases, and and feelings of you know social superiority or inferiority or whatever, and these are not to be trusted. These are not perceptions that uh, you know they're conditioned, admittedly. But uh, we can we can look at things in different ways. We don't have to look at something always from the conditioned conditioning that we've acquired. So there's this, in the, when the Buddha talks about the Buddha mind, it's a very flexible, malleable, it's universal. It's, it's, it, we can see things in so many different ways. You know, the mind has, has, has this, this radiant quality to it. Consciousness is a, is a radiance. It's light itself. So as we begin to they uh, let go of always limiting ourselves through the distortions of our conditioned mental states. Then we we begin to understand, see things as they really are, know the Dhamma, enlightenment. 
these are not something that are distant, remote, and 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 impossible, unless you want to hold to those views from from a, a kind of personal attitude about it, about you as a person, uh, and and holding these these. Uh, these perceptions are so high that you can way beyond your personal ability to ever achieve them, then that's because you're you haven't awakened to what you're doing. You're merely operating from from a conditioned view of everything. So one thing I see like there is Dukkha, Dukkha should be welcomed. This is my new interpretation. <laughs> the Dukkha should be understood. Dukkha should be welcomed. How's that? Try that one. Now you can experiment with these different words. You know, you don't have to say this. Pali scriptures say understand. They didn't say welcome. But Pali scriptures don't even, they don't say understand, they use a Pali word that we translate as understand. And we don't, maybe we don't even understand what understand means. Did you ever think of that? You know, maybe even our own language, we don't understand the, 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 we're so limited to a particular narrow view of the word understand, we don't, we can't expand it. That's why, you know, it's, it's like to, to see where we can experiment with the words, just to, just to observe the effect of it. So I say welcoming now, not because I found the the real translation for this, you know. And and um, anyone who's going back to use understand is somehow, you know, it's not right. My view, my particular translation is, then that's getting into. You know, a, another rigid, arrogant approach. You know, I'm not interested in, in proving that I'm right. You know, my translations are the best, but let's see how they work. What is, what is the effect of it in terms of the here and now? So that I'm sharing this with you, you know, as a way of uh, encouraging you to have the, you know, to to have uh, that right and that uh, freedom to to know yourself in a way that you, you don't have to always try to fit yourself into into the views, opinions of even a tradition or or orthodox forms or definitions or you know our our particular group way of looking at things or our our tradition. So suffering there is dukkha. Dukkha should be welcomed and dukkha has been welcomed. <laughs> what is that like? You know, try it out. <laughs> I don't know if it worked for you, but it does for me. Because welcoming is, uh, I'm, I'm tend to be in my the habit tendencies to dukkha to push it away. You know, that's that's my conditioning, my personality. Suffering push it away. Don't want it. Somebody else is suffering. I see somebody. Else. I don't want to go near them. I don't want to have to. I want to push away from them. Uh, there's a problem. I didn't say, no, I've got a problem. I push away. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want a problem. Uh, this is the, 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 my character tendencies to do that. Resisting, you know. I don't want to know about the suffering. Tell me the good things. Say, how are you today? I'm fine, Arjun Sumedho. I just love it here at Amravati, and I love being a monk, and I'm not, I just adore the Dhamma and the Theravada form and the Vinaya, and I love the whole thing. And, oh, that makes me feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> 
And I go to somebody else, how are you this morning? <laughs> this life is such a dreary, miserable thing. <laughs> I'm fed up. I want to disrobe. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. So then you, you kind of like you're going around trying to, you know, uh, make people kind of make you feel good, you know. Tell me the good things because that makes me feel good. But don't tell me the bad stuff because it, uh, that makes me feel bad. I don't want to feel bad. I don't want suffering. I don't welcome it. I want to get rid of it. And so, therefore, I, you know, I'm going to try to live my life so that I can get as much of the good stuff as I can and push away the bad stuff. But then in, in, uh, in this new, this new translation, uh, there's suffering, suffering should be welcomed, and then it changes, isn't it? It works better. So then you see, see, the the suffering, your own, somebody else's problems, difficulties, and so forth, as welcoming rather than as uh, things to run away from or push away. So, like this, this we were on this retreat for the past week, and and. Uh, that, you know, like, I really, uh, found that very, I, I really like the formal practice. I like to sit here and face the shrine. Uh, and I like the temple, you know, so it's a very pleasant, very nice place to sit. And, and then I sit in this, with this nice cushion, and then, uh, of this triangular cushion on the back that just supports the spine so I can sit very comfortably for long periods of time. And I look at the shrine and, uh, and the everything, the mind goes very still and quiet. And then, then when I look around and face... <laughs> uh, what happens when my mind isn't in, you know, when I'm looking at all of you, you know, the, so that this this is just a, a, a way of of contemplating. You know, does you know when I'm looking at the shrine, all the all the things that the shrine tend to bring uh, peace and calm. So you, you have candles and incense and and uh, Buddha image and, and very uh, you know things that aren't dukkha for me. They they bring kind of if they inspire or they're pleasing. They aren't irritating or or uh, causing me uh, any kind of unpleasant feeling. Or if I don't really want to look at them, I just close my eyes. Don't look at anything. But then turning around and you're all here. What happens? So then it, you know, then it brings up, uh, say, sense of, of, uh, you know, there's, there's so many different possibilities, isn't it? All these different people. Some I don't know even. Some I, I think I know. I've got views about some of you. You know, you're like this and they're like that. And then, uh, and then I've got memories and, and each person will bring up certain memories and and uh, some pleasant, some unpleasant memories. Some people have different ways of moving and acting and saying things that that uh, bring up different feelings in in my mind, in my consciousness. So then, if I'm, uh, oh, I can't bear this world. That, that is like that. I, I have to turn away because I immediately turn around to look at the shrine again. Or, is, is when I'm looking at the shrine, if I begin to, I allow 
say, the, the awareness, to take me to no longer just non-grasping, to the, real, to the re- reality of non-attachment. And, and really know this, not, not depend on, on the lack of stimulation for this, or in turning away from the community in order to get it, but re- really having the seeing that turning toward the community and realizing this it's it's something here isn't it it's not not dependent on facing this direction we're fi- we're beginning to awaken to re- to the re- reality rather than toward a conditioned experience that we become very dependent upon So in this um, sense of sangha, refuge in sangha, it's not refuge in, I mean we can define sangha in terms of the four pairs, the eight kinds of noble beings. For how many are fit into that description? How many of you, your egos, think of yourself as as sotapanna, sakata, sotapanna, maga, sotapanna, pala, Sakata kami maga sakata kami pala anakami maga anakami pala arahanda maga arahanda pala. Which one? Which one are you? (laughs) 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 How can I take refuge in a a bunch of people that don't, you know, even four pairs, eight kinds of noble beings? It remains very abstract, doesn't it? Kind of, kind of ideal. Uh, these kind of stages, uh, ideal kind of being somewhere, maybe. Well, are they here? And then we look, there's this monk and that nun. So, so then we, what's the refuge in Sangha then? We, we want to abstract it. Or, looking at Sangha like Sangha, rather than as this person that this personality you know whether anybody you know is it up to me to decide who's a who's a sotapanna sakadakami and all like that and to figure out who who I can take refuge with <laughs> because then it, because it's a matter of my ego again isn't it here I am and this person trying to decide what somebody else is. So it's like taking these words like sangha and and making them like work for you. You see, the sangha, it can be you know make it practical. Like we 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 have the same refuge. We're the sangha. Our refuge is in Buddha and Dhamma and sangha, not in personal attitudes or preferences or habits or views and opinions. So when we see each other in terms of Sangha and, and or as Devadutas, it's a way of looking at each other that is beginning to appreciate and, and respect and getting beyond just personal preference, personal view, personal reactivity. But we're not trying to annihilate that, because uh, the dukkha that we welcome is uh, all this personal reactivity. You know, why I feel angry with you, or why I feel jealous or why I feel rejected or things like this is not not trying to to dismiss this but as we trust in in this awakened state then we can you know we can we can welcome our own feelings you know foolish feelings or or whatever or or neurotic Habits. We can welcome these things in terms of, of a noble truth rather than personal 
faults. So this is uh, the uh, observance night. Uh, everybody's invited to sit till the magic hour of midnight. <laughs> <laughs>